Welcome to this special bonus episode of the Passive House Podcast. I'm Zach Semke, Director of Passive House Accelerator, and we're pleased to be sharing a series of bonus episodes recorded at FiusCon 2022 in Chicago. These interviews were made possible by generous support from Stocorp and Zola Windows. In this interview, Passive House Accelerator's Director of Publications, Mary James, interviews Julie Klump of POA, or Preservation of Affordable Housing. Welcome, Julie Klump, to the Passive House Accelerator podcast at the FIAS conference. And um, you are the um, VP of Design and Building Performance for the Preservation of Affordable Housing. I'm very excited to talk with you because I know you do a lot of retrofit work, one of my favorite topics. And um, one of the uh, really interesting projects to me that you've been working on has been um, your involvement with the Realize project um, program, which I wrote about back in 2021. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that project you've been working with? Sure. Um, the bigger rehab we're doing in, in place, build, building on site, is right next to another property of ours. It's a much smaller brick building, very nondescript, um, and it has it's one of four buildings that are similar construction, similar systems. When I gave a tour of the bigger building to Tim McDonald and RMI, he kind of got the idea that maybe that would be a good set of buildings to analyze for prefab overcladding systems with mechanicals in the outboard stud cavity. Um, so we put a team together, mechanical, engineer and commissioning agent. Sorry, can I stop you okay, and sure. just ask you to talk briefly about the preservation of affordable housing, what your organization, oh, sure, sure. Um, how many properties you actually own? Sure. Because you don't just design and build buildings, right. your organization owns them. Yeah, we're, yeah we own and manage um, and develop. Um, we have 12,000 units in 11 states in D.C. Um, and... We rarely sell a project. We buy new, or we build new, we buy existing, um, and the goal is always just to preserve the affordability. Um, so this current project is based where? That you were just starting to talk about? Salem, Massachusetts. So it's north of Boston. Um, and when we... The way we fund the projects is typically through a low-income housing tax credit allocation. Um, and then there's, you know, there might be mortgage money, there might be some other um, sources of funds. And so the Fairweather's project, which is the realized project, um, we're doing a rehab, very modest rehab with a financing program through HUD um, That's that's more like bringing up the ADA units to current code, making sure the life safety uh, components are all uh, up to date, mo elevator modernization. And so we took that opportunity to, to upgrade the electric service so that if we got an opportunity to do a realized project or even just get to all electric in some way, we would have the capacity. So that's part of that rehab. And then the feasibility study that we're doing 
there, there is a possibility that we could find the funds for it. Our next step is to do kind of a financial model to see what, how much debt we could leverage. And then if there's a gap, there's so many funding sources out there that it might, we might be able to fill that gap with some kind of incentive or grant from somebody and do one of the four buildings as a pilot. And um, with this feasibility, you're looking at uh, a deep energy retrofit? Yes. So it would be complete overcladding. Um, we wanted to see, because we had a building right next door that was, the materials were coming to the site and being installed on the site. Um, we wanted to compare doing that and the cost of that building versus building something in a factory, studs, sheathing, you know, uh, insulation, windows, maybe even some of the siding, and then we drop those in and residents can stay in place. And then a very minimal disruption where we go into the unit, pull the old window out and do a connection to the new window. Um, the relocation costs at our larger project, which is two 10-story towers, 281 units, was expensive and disruptive. Even though we created hotel suites within the building, two on each floor, a one-bedroom and a two-bedroom, so that the, the way we approached the building was more driven by the exterior. So we had giant mass climbers that went up and down the building to take the brick off, to put uh, the new sheathing on, to put the metal panels, to put the windows in, and those masks kind of covered two units. And so we did it two units at a time, per floor, two stacks at a time. So residents would move into those hotel suites on their floor, so they weren't changing floor, they weren't ch changing unit size. We spruced those hotel units up before anybody moved in, but people just kept coming in and out of those as their, as their unit was worked on. But that involved a consultant that had three or four people, maybe up to five people, that hired movers, that, had, that handled all the communication for us. Because you have to move somebody's, because of the work we were doing was so extensive, hazardous material, we had to contain the units in order to remove sheetrock, um, so it cost us a million dollars for the relocation efforts at the two towers. Um, and before COVID, we would do occupied rehab because we could create a hospitality suite where people could be during the day, but then they could go back to their unit at night. And the GC was always responsible for a functioning bathroom and a kitchen sink. Um, and, um, but then when COVID hit, it seemed to make a lot less sense to have a resident out for the day and have a lot of different people coming and going out of their unit. So we started creating these hotel suites on, on site. And so that's, you know, we lose some rent on that we, um, because those two units become vacant for the duration of the project. Um, but um, Well, that sounds really complicated and uh, to coordinate and expensive, but... Also, how are you going to get around it? <laughs> yeah. Um, unless you could, yeah, I mean, unless you could do the retrofit so quickly that you right. don't need to actually move somebody out. Yeah, and housing is pretty in short supply everywhere, but in Massachusetts it seems real short supply. And we don't want kids to have to be bused to their school. So trying to just, if we had to relocate off-site, trying to find housing for 281 families would have been probably impossible. Right. 
So um, the feasibility study, that, are you in the middle of conducting that or did you finish no, that? They, they finished the study. Um, we, had, we had a GC that helped us price it. Tim McDonald sort of led the effort. Um, he met with researched companies that had fiberglass studs, you know, that would be, you know, that we could oh. build a wall out of. Um, he talked to Metal Eve. Um, they do kind of custom metal studs. Um, what 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 steps we would have to take? Should we put the mechanical equipment in that outboard stud cavity, or should we try to figure out a, a unitized system that could could just you know per unit come in and out of the enclosure and manage it that way? Um, so we went through many mechanical system options, how it would what it would cost, what it would take to put in, and, and we came up with four scenarios that we priced, and one of the scenarios was even partial factory built panels and partial in you know in the field panels um and so there's some cost information um and were so there any clear winners there, there there was a clear winner and it um i, I mean in terms of cost mm -hmm. and i but i mean we haven't in trying to compare it to salem heights we haven't factored in the one million dollar relocation costs um to that um, but the next step is to kind of do a financial model and see um, how we might tackle one of those um, or, you know, all of them. Well, sounds like, it, you know, as you figure this out, you have a lot of other units that it could possibly be applied to if you come up with. So, yeah, so um, before the conference, I went through our portfolio and I found at least one building, if not 10 buildings in each state, we own buildings, um, properties and found buildings that would be perfectly suitable. Wow. Sort of boxy, nondescript, no historic features um, that could all look a lot better with an overcladding, perform better with an overcladding. And, you know, from here to Florida, they're, um, you know, lots of opportunities to do that. And some of the buildings, maybe not the front elevation because in Chicago, a lot of the buildings we have have beautiful front decorative um, facades, but the but back the and the sides not so much. <laughs> right, and we can make a huge dent in those in those elevations. Um, so yeah, so they're and you know we're one developer of many. So um, I think this could this could be whether it's done in the field or done in a factory. It would be one way to really ramp up. The, the deep energy retrofits that we need to do. Yeah, that would be truly exciting. And are you? Would you be targeting passive house for these deep yes. energy retrofits? Yeah. Yeah. And we're targeting um, passive house for our, our two tower rehab. And what we've done on that project um, is, and I'll talk about this on Friday, is that um, we went through every metric that we would have to pass. And we've identified the ones that we will take care of, you know, air tightness of the enclosure. But we can't touch the slab because it's already, it would be impossible. Um, compartmentalization it becomes really tricky. Um, but there are a lot of the metrics that we can check off that we're, uh, that, you know, we would easily certify as passive house. Or, I'm not going to say easily, but, um, you know, we have a garage. With reasonable effort. Yeah, <laughs> we've got a garage ceiling that we're insulating that we're trying to, you know, really wrap and make airtight. Probably can't afford to wrap all the slab edge, you know, that I would like to do. Um, but the compartmentalization, one thing we did when we did the testing is 
we identified every location. And even if we're not touching that during the rehab, we're going to make a checklist so that when they do a unit turn, they touch the cabinets or they touch the flooring or they um, they can hit some of those some of those holes. Great. Well, that's exciting, and I look forward to hearing your talk tomorrow and getting to hear more about it. Thank you so much for stopping by. Of course. Thank you. Really appreciate it.